Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. We're recording this on Monday, November 15th. If we're recording on a Monday, that means that Tyler Rucker, a.k.a. Backcourt B, is joining me. Tyler, we finally get to debut what this podcast is actually supposed to be. So the whole reason, the whole reason why I talked to Tyler about being a co-host when we record on Mondays is to dive in with me to the column I'm writing every single Monday. We're releasing this on no ceilings. We call it the morning dunk. And essentially all it's doing, it's, it's, if you want to call it a Monday morning quarterback imitation, that's fine. I am no Albert Breer. I am no paid columnist who's writing about quite literally every single game that's happening in college basketball. But my idea is to give everyone a snapshot of what's going on, not just in the college basketball world, but also in the scouting world. And hitting on a lot of important topics means talking about a lot of interesting prospects and getting not just my perspective, but Tyler's perspective. Essentially doing a little bit more of a conversational deep dive into what I'm writing about every Monday. So Tyler, how are you doing, man? You ready to kick this series off? Yeah, I'm pumped about it. I think anyone listening, you know, you got to subscribe to No Ceilings if not just for this, you know, what Nathan's doing is going to be one of the most important parts of what we're trying to do this year, you know, keeping everybody updates to prospects, how they're playing the buzz around the draft world. I, I mean, it's going to be exciting. I'm very thrilled to see where you go with this column and where we go with no ceiling, but yes, I'm juiced to talk about some prospects right now. Cause you did some great work this week. I, I think I caught some of the group off guard, to be perfectly honest with you, with one of the players we're going to be talking about tonight. But we will we will start with the biggest name that I mentioned in my column this morning, and that would be Jabari Smith Jr. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, I, I, Tyler, I'll give you more credit than myself, because when we talked about a number of guys in our very first preview podcast that we did, you were like, Dude, I'm not selling any Jabari Smith stock based on what I've seen preseason of anything. I'm going to buy all the stock that I can. And he has been this one guy who has climbed. And I mean, climbed for, first of all, he didn't have to take a jump from like 14 all the way up to like the top five. But when you make leaps within the top five, that's very hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when, when you're trying to, climb and and be mobile within like economic status for example in the job world you're trying to go from like the top five percent to the top one percent like people don't realize how tough of a climb that is and it's the same way in the nba draft you're if you're knocking people out of position you're knocking out some pretty pretty talented prospects and i think jabari smith consensus was like four or five on a lot of different preseason boards preseason mock drafts it's funny jalen green was the one guy who I started out by calling with. And I said that, you know, Jalen Green was a consensus like four or five falling in the same spot preseason and kind of through at least the beginning of G League Ignite's run last year in the bubble. And he was able to get drafted number two overall, just two moving up two spots is very difficult. Right now, Jabari Smith, not only are they mentioning him, and when I say they, I mean like a lot of draft Twitter, a lot of scouts who have actually written, First week debuts, they're moving him from four. Some people are saying he could be the number one pick right now, the potential number one pick. And that's over Paolo Bencaro and Chet Holmgren, who you and I have talked about at length. People on those ceilings have talked about him at length. Tyler Metcalf did a fantastic juxtaposition written piece. 
between Paolo and Chad. You talked to Tyler specifically about Paolo and Chad. So you know how talented those big men are to be knocking them out of position so early on potentially in the process. It's, it's, it's almost unreal. Um, and, and when I first watched Jabari Smith, kind of like some preseason high school type film, I thought he was pretty raw. I didn't understand how much skill Jabari actually had, but that's why you and I preface virtually all of our preseason conversations by saying the words we have to wait and see, because it's important to actually evaluate these guys based on what they're showing in college, not necessarily just high school film. And a 6'10 stretch forward who can handle the basketball, he can shoot. He's been doing all kinds of pull-up shooting from the elbows, similar to Paolo. He's taken some fadeaway shots out of the post. He's hit some, some step-in threes. A guy who can shoot from all over the floor, handle the basketball, like I said, certainly be a multi-positional defender. I mean, the, the name that I used in my column, the last time I can really think of a guy that size who could do all those things was Jaron Jackson Jr., and he absolutely solidified himself as a top-four prospect by the time we got to the draft. Nobody wanted to question that at all. We've had two pretty convincing games of film to look over now. Tyler, what are some of your initial thoughts on Mr. Jabari Smith? I think he's just this – he couldn't be off to a better start. You know, that's the name buzzing so loud right now with the draft community. Scouts are all just – enamored with this guy i mean what he's doing on the floor right now he's showing us he can do a little bit of everything and you know me and you had talked about it with our previous show like we were saying he just seems like one of those guys i thought was going to be more offensive focused and he's showing a little bit more defensive ability right away than i was anticipating you know his feet are just fantastic his effort, his tenacity, he's just all over the place, like wrecking havoc. And I think it's just now he's entered the conversation of the top three. I mean, why wouldn't he be there? You have to be considering him. Now we have long season. It's the first opening week. Yes, absolutely. We got a long way to go. Other guys could heat up. Other guys can start climbing. But it's like you said, he was a top five guy. And it's so hard to climb those spots like early in the year. And yep. he's jumped like two spots easily. Like people are okay, it's Paulo, Chet, and probably Jabari. Yep. Just because other guys are a little slow to get rolling, and he's just been outstanding so far. So yeah, I mean, we're gonna want to see a bigger sample size, but yep. this is also why we love the draft because some of these guys just come out of the gate just on a mission and you can see his confidence is just overflowing right now. And he's making it. So you got to watch every game now. And it's not like we weren't going to do that before, but now you want to see it live. Now you want to see, is this going to keep building into something terrifying where maybe he can even step up one more. And we never thought that was possible, but the size, the quickness, the mobility, I'm just in awe right now. And I think that's a top three guy right now. And, and a lot of stuff's going to happen. You know, I'm a big Jaden Hardy guy. I'm sure we're going to talk about him plenty throughout the year. But, yeah, I'm just in awe. I mean, what, what do you think, Nathan? Are you, are you buying the top three right now? Are you still a little, like, uh, top five more realistic? 
he, he's, he's definitely has my attention and mm-hmm. let's kind of start on the defensive end because that's where I wanted to start when I talked about him in my column. So yeah, through two games, right through two games, I made sure that I made this bold. He has three blocks, but seven steals. So he has 10 combined stocks through two games. That's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. It, it's one thing if he was one of those more traditional forwards who we kind of expected at least go watch in the high school film. He kind of stay closer to the basket, maybe offer some vertical rim protection. But he has stepped out on the perimeter. He's looked incredibly comfortable doing so. You mentioned his footwork, guarding people one-on-one and switches, participating in perimeter double teams, making life absolute hell for anybody trying to go up against Auburn. And they can throw him out there to do that kind of stuff because the majority of the time, at least so far, he's shared a lot of minutes with Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler's mm-hmm. a more traditional big man. He's very comfortable challenging shots at the rim, protecting the rim. And so they can send Jabari Smith out. Yes, he can also help protect the rim, you know, from the weak side. But they have the luxury to be able to throw him out there and say, hey, go go double team this guy. Go, go try and trap this ball handler as soon as he crosses half court switch on to this guy, be comfortable defending on the perimeter because we know you have the ability to do so. Like, like Bruce Pearl has such a luxury with this kid on the defensive end. He can really help captain that defense in so many different ways. And I wrote this too. One of the things that captivated me so much about the 2021 draft class was that we had at least three guys I can think of off the top of my head who could potentially guard one through five in time in, in the NBA with, with Mobley and Barnes. We're already seeing that in the NBA. Usman Garuba, a lot of people definitely thought could get there, myself included. Like we had so many versatile defensive forwards and, and bigs, like guys who had the size of more traditional bigs who could potentially step out and guard one through five. We're going to slot Jabari Smith, at least from the tape we've seen off these two games. Like you said, it's a long season. We need a bigger sample size. But right now, he fits in that category of defensive prospect. And I think, Tyler, that's what a lot of NBA teams are looking for nowadays. They don't want guys who die on switches, who can't guard anybody in space. They don't want anybody who isn't comfortable challenging and contesting shots at the rim. Maybe they're not the bulkiest uh, of big men, but they're at least comfortable being physical, banging down low with some of those more power players. They want these guys who can sort of do it all if they're playing either the four or the five spot. And that's really what's helping to win NBA games nowadays, especially when you consider how talented some of the perimeter players are in the NBA. Everybody says it's a guard-oriented league, it's a guard-driven league. Well, how do you shut down guard-driven perimeter offense? You need to be able to have guys who can switch onto guards and, and other ball-handling wings and be able to at least make things tough for them, right? Maybe not shut them down, but make things tough for them. Well, Jabari Smith is shutting people down, Tyler. And I wanted to look this up specifically on the defensive end. It's it's two games, but I wanted to look at some of the shooting numbers for him actually contesting shots defensively on Synergy in possessions that they've tracked where he's been the man contesting the shot. Opponents are shooting two for 12 against him. So while that doesn't necessarily capture every single thing he's done on defense, we can talk about some of the team aspects, like like I've already mentioned, but at least from an individual standpoint, players are shooting two of 12 on him. And I already mentioned the defensive playmaking, the stocks, like 
this is this deserves to be mentioned at the forefront of any conversation like how good of a defensive player he is and that's really as you and i know and i'm sure you'll talk about this in a second like that's what separates high level prospects nowadays not just what you can do offensively but the true superstars in the nba also play on the other end of the floor jabari smith is doing that in spades yeah i you know we've talked about this on the preview when we brought up jabari and I'm not, let me put this out there. I'm not saying they're the same player. Let me say that again. I'm not saying they're the same player, but with what Evan Mobley's doing right now, people are going to be watching Jamari Smith and being like, look, this guy's doing a lot of the same stuff Mobley's doing. And it's just the big with good size, fantastic mobility. I mean, I went into the season excited to watch him offensively. And after two games, I'm going, where is all this? Everyone was talking about, like, he is an unbelievable defensive prospect. Like, I'm so excited to watch him just because the effort, the feet are just have me killer wanting. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I can't even handle myself when I'm watching his footwork because it's just the quickness. He's daring smaller guards to go at him and he's sliding he's got good fundamentals like i'm just all intrigued with his potential and i like you're saying it's not just like fake you know hustle or effort against poor teams you you can just see the tools are there like the anticipation understanding of i can pressure the ball outside like i mean he he's opening some eyes in a hurry. And I think everyone's quickly getting drawn to Jabari Smith because they're saying, okay, if we thought he was going to be this dangerous offensive prospect before, and now he potentially looks like he could be a two-way weapon. I mean, woo, this class is going to heat up in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and, and let's talk about some of the offense a little bit because he's been very active, not only taking shots, but also making shots in a variety of different ways. He's been a spot-up threat. He's kind of been the trailer threat in, in transition offense, hitting open threes. He's been able to, like I said, kind of catch around the elbows, similar to what we're seeing from Paolo Bancaro. He's knocking down those shots with ease. He's taking guys into the post, fading away, hitting jumpers in that manner. He's setting screens woolly wall at the top of the court and, and not just one of those fake screen setters like, I'm going to fake that I'm going to set a screen, but really like I'm slipping like the second that I have the opportunity to, he's setting legitimate screens, popping off of those screens. And then he kind of puts the defense in an absolute bind because he's quick enough to take his man off the dribble. If somebody switches onto him and it's a smaller player, he'll just shoot right over them. Like he's not, I wouldn't call him a top shelf creator off the bounce, but when you factor in his speed, at his size, his ability to get his step on a matchup. And then you have to be very careful where you double team him as well, because while he's not a maestro by any means, he's already shown the ability to make the correct read. If defense comes over to help and they leave another man open, whether it's a cutting man along the baseline, whether he has to make a hit um, to, to a jump shooter, something along those lines, like God, like if, if all we're talking about from a weakness perspective is that he's not a, a, a top shelf shot creator or he's not like a top shelf passer, but he can still make the easy play and do the simple things on offense. And you combine all of that with his shot making ability from the perimeter. He can take his man off the bounce. He's a timely cutter. Like where really are the holes for Jabari Smith offensively? Like that 
that's really why I think he's climbing so high is because you evaluate his offensive game, you evaluate his defensive game. There's just very few holds in general, things that we're pointed to and say, well, he can't do that on an NBA floor, and that's really going to cause him to plummet. It's like his weaknesses are so limited. There's no, there's no glaring issue that could prevent him right now from playing minutes on an NBA floor, and that's really how you see some of these prospects rise. Yeah, and I'm not overly concerned with the like the lack of shot creation, if you want to say, just because it's so early and he seems, it seems like he's just been, you know, let run wild. Like Pearl's yeah. just like, go crazy, figure it out. And he's just figuring out, I can do all this stuff. I have this freedom. Like it, the game's coming to him easier than he probably anticipated. And now he's just showcasing all of this upside that's sensational you know he had that one possession where he went full court he went behind the back then drove and had a little floater or a little finger roll in the lane and you're just like what yep and and he's doing all the stuff you're talking about he's just checking these boxes and you know me and tyler metcalf on the no ceilings pod our first episode like you said we talked about paulo we talked about chet we talked about jalen duran and with bigs, you you check boxes. Like, that's what I do. I go look at the feet. I go look at hands. And his, you know, Jabari Smith's feet are fantastic. They've been just incredible. And he's shown some touch. He's shown some flashes where you're just, you're quickly checking boxes. Like, okay, there's upside there. He's teasing potential there. So I think we'll see some more creation come out throughout the year, you know, as he gets a little bit more comfortable uh, we just get a bigger sample size, but it, I'm like you, it, he's just been fantastic. And now you're starting to drool because you're like, he has all of these tools that if they just keep coming together, he's going to be a sensational prospect in this year's draft. I mean, he already is, but if he can, can keep up this consistency, like we're going to be talking about him as a top three, if not higher pick. It's just insane to look at how many players we have in this draft class who are anywhere between six, eight, and seven. They can do so many different things on a basketball court. Like we are truly in an era of almost positionless basketball. I think, and I agree with coach David Thorpe when he said this on my podcast, that really the only two positions quote unquote that we really classify or care about anymore is the point guard, like who's bringing the ball up every single possession. And then you have, you have some sort of center, right? You have some sort of backline big man who you know is going to do the be there to do the dirty work, protect the rim, etc. But then, like the two through four, like classifying someone as like a shooting guard, a small forward, power forward, it's not necessarily as important anymore because I feel like all three of those positions, quote unquote, are tasked with the same level of responsibility on a floor on on both ends. Like that's just the way the teams are playing, both offensively and defensively like if you had to try to categorize a role for Jabari Smith and what you think it might be in the NBA after seeing these two games like how would you try to classify his position or his fit on the floor and what you think and how you think NBA teams would try to use him from what you've seen so far you know he's just been so fantastic next to Kessler like you said and and Kessler's more of the you know modern if you want to say traditional five um so, I mean, if you're watching these games, I would think you're probably, you know, I hate to keep bringing them up, but you're probably watching the Cavs with Evan Mobley and how they're using him and saying, why couldn't that would still need a little bit more time to see him as the big, you know, small ball five. 
I think right now you just have a fantastic forward that looks like he's just going to impact the game all over the place. Maybe some NBA teams convinced he could be a small ball five, but you know, still thin frame for me. I know he's doing a fantastic job and I'm not too overly concerned about the frame right now. But with, how probably, per, with how perimeter oriented he is, do you see the potential for him to be one of those like primary type options on like a really good team where all of a sudden teams just start funneling all of the offense through him and they ask him to make decisions from the perimeter? Because like you can already see he's at least comfortable taking those shots. I don't know how much resp- offensive responsibility you're going to want to put on his plate within the first few years of the league, but from a shot making perspective, he looks like he's absolutely ready, confident, and willing to step up and take whatever the D essentially gives him from a shot perspective. There's been plenty of flashes where I would agree with that. You know, he had another play where he brought it up in transition to hit a pull-up three, and it was a swish. I was like, excuse me? Like 6'10", potential, (laughs) you know, center, small ball center that's doing that. So, yeah, I I think we're going to get excited about that idea. We need to probably see his – playmaking ability a little bit more, see what he can do over a bigger sample size when it comes to passing or, you know, running an offense, making the right reads. He's done plenty. I mean, he has been fantastic. It's as good as a start as you can hope for, for a guy like him. I definitely think there's upside and dream that he could be kind of one of those guys where you could run some offense. Maybe it's like a Bam Adebayo or something like that, where, yeah, if he's on the perimeter, he could stretch the floor or make the right reads, make some good passes. I definitely think we're going to be thinking that, but I'm just like you. It's, it's early. He's been sensational. It's just keep, keep it coming. I want to see, I want to see more. I want the consistent play. And, um, but he's been absolutely fantastic so far. I, I mean, it's the, I think the volume thing is more or less what's really caught me off guard. Like Pearl being so willing to let him get the ball so many times on offense and no matter where he is on the floor, there's just this, this freedom that you can sense that he has, not just from his coaching staff, but also his teammates. Like mm-hmm. you're open. And man. I, like, I wasn't like, ready for it. it. Yeah. No, right. I, 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 yeah. Go Yeah. Go ahead. Talk, talk about that for a second. Cause yeah, I, I wasn't ready for it either, man. No, well, I mean, when I was on the draft act with Corey, we kind of were talking about Jabari, and I was like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about the Auburn fit. I mean, is it going to be weird? And me and Corey kind of agreed, like, you know, Pearl's this great defensive-minded guy. We were just kind of wondering how the big man that's known for his offensive side was going to work with kind of a defensive-minded, just lunatic like Pearl. And I love what Pearl does, but it's been amazing and. I wasn't expecting, like you said, the. You know, you know, you know, you know why we weren't expecting it, because unless unless you're really tied heavily to grassroots basketball and you get to talk to some of these coaches and you get in the practice gym like you, you don't even off of like some full games you can find on YouTube, certainly not from like the highlights, like you wouldn't know this side of Jabari Smith if that's really all you're watching, which to some degree, I mean. I think all of us on No Ceilings have some connections to grassroots basketball in some aspects, but we, we, we don't have a wiretap into every single gym in the country and we're able to kind of just peek in whenever we want. If if you're like us and we're evaluating somebody like Jabari Smith preseason, we're going off of a lot of what we're seeing off film from places like YouTube, et cetera, you're seeing Jabari Smith 
do a little bit of things from the high post. Maybe he's hitting a few elbow jumpers. Maybe he's hitting you a little closer to the basket. He's hitting with like that fadeaway jumper. And then he's kind of just like, you're seeing these standstill shots of him just like spacing the floor. But like, mm-hmm. he, at least from what I saw preseason, I did not see like Jabari Smith consistently stepping into open threes from like the trailer spot. I didn't see him like taking one or two dribbles immediately pulling up inside the arc and nailing jump shot after jump shot. I, I didn't see that stuff. And so it's like, if that's all we have to go off of to evaluate him preseason, like, of course, we're not going to project some kind of like high volume breakout like he's had, at least in these first two games. And yes, as multiple people have said on social media, like we have to take these two games, you know, as a great assault as, as much as any other kind of like preseason type of competition or exhibition type of competition, because a lot of these high major programs are playing teams that we wouldn't even expect to compete within the field of 68. So obviously we're being careful, but like, yeah, I, I didn't expect any of this to happen with Jabari because I quite literally didn't see it when I was doing my preseason research. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anyone was expecting it. You know, the buzz I kept hearing during those practices was loud and it got louder, but I don't know if the buzz was this loud to be like, okay, we're going to potentially have a uh, 20 and 15 type of guy coming out of the gate. That's skyrocketing up to the top three conversation. It's, it's like you said, it's so early in the year. It's important to pump the brakes, but it's also an important time to see the confidence building. You know, he, now the world's going to know that Jabari Smith's going to be bringing it. So now you want to pay attention to these opposing teams are going to come in saying this kid's on a roll we got to be locked in on him. Does he keep his play level? Does he have some inconsistencies where it's a little bit of a roller coaster type of couple of stretches? He's just been sensational. It's, it's, you know, like you said, it's hard to get a feel for a guy when you're going off of potentially an exhibition game in the preseason. And that's all you get without having, you know, an ear in the locker room, which we will have eventually. Don't sell yourself short, Nathan. But um, no, I, I mean, he's been outstanding. I, I, you can't, you can't dream for a better start for a prospect like him. And it's it's not just the offensive production; it's the defensive side of the ball is what's impressed me the most. Like I am now glued watching him defensively. The offense I knew was going to be there, but he's also showcasing a lot of levels of scoring offensively that you're saying okay this could potentially be a little bit of a dangerous guy if that outside shot's coming around yeah. on a consistent level so i don't think any of us have sold our hardy stock i think we've, we've kind of all been in, in agreement where we're talking about some of the g league night guys we, we got into that with Corey a little bit last week on this very podcast but you asked me where do I see Jabari Smith right now? Do I see him mm-hmm. still as like top five? Do I see him climbing into that like top three? What I will say is that it's a lot easier nowadays to sell yourself on the kind of archetype that Jabari Smith is versus trying to sell somebody with a top three pick on Jaden Hardy, who doesn't have elite athleticism for his position. You know, he's not the 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 sky soaring athlete from the guard spot that Jalen Green was. So far, he's had some better games of late. He had two good games against the Clippers um, G League team where he put up points in bunches, and, and some of the raw numbers look pretty good. But when you look at some of the shooting splits, they still aren't there quite yet. So we're talking about more of a lower efficiency 
volume type scorer who doesn't have elite size and athleticism at his position versus a 6'10", two-way, incredible forward prospect who has the perimeter shot making tied to the potential one through five defensive ability that I think everybody covets nowadays. Like that, that's the, yeah, the top three buzz is absolutely real just based on that. Like you can sell me or you can sell a random person a lot easier on Jabari Smith. If, if they're like an NBA fan, maybe not like a scouting guy or somebody who's interested in scouting, doing things like that. Just your average NBA observer who's seen enough games over the last two, three years, know where the league's going. You can sell them a lot quicker on Jabari Smith than you can Jaden Hardy. And I think that sentiment also holds true for NBA scouts and for offices. So yes, that's why I think top three buzz is real. What about you? Yeah, I, I for sure think, you know, I've always said NBA teams are going to be more intrigued with bigs because there's just a history of no matter what, they're always going to come around to drooling about height and versatility and, you know, this transitional impact on a team that can just kind of shift the momentum of a franchise. And I think Jabari is the type of guy that if he keeps putting up numbers like this, teams are going to be like, yes, top three, you know, they would put him above Hardy. Now, thoroughly, when I still think Hardy was going to be a guy that took a long time to kind of find his groove just because of the jump in competition, like we talked about last yep. week with Corey. So uh, I'm not too worried about that, but if you're asking me right this second, yeah, Jabari would probably be in the top three just because the small sample we've seen, he's been outstanding. And you could just see the confidence is overflowing now. So now you want to see where he can build off that. Can he keep that sort of production up? And, you know, I, we're not going to be saying he's going to have 21 and 12 every game because that'd be ridiculous. But if he's being efficient, making impact on both sides of the ball, like, yeah, teams are going to, and NBA fans would be convinced on the size and the upside a little bit quicker than a guard that's struggling with some efficiencies right now. So let's move to that guard prospect that I alluded to where at, towards the beginning of this podcast. I said that I caught some people off guard by writing about him, but listen, I caught myself completely off guard when I was going through kind of like, as I wrote about when I was going through games possible for me to, you know, reach out for credentials for this year to, to be able to scout or even get some tickets for some of the games I'm not going to be able to, to land credentials for. I didn't originally have Nebraska circled as one of those teams. that's like, Oh my God, I, I got to see Nebraska. Like I gotta, I gotta make time to go travel to see Nebraska. But then I was looking through rosters and I saw Bryce McGowan's and I saw the measurements on him. And now he, he's coming in about six, seven guard, 179 pounds. It's not going to immediately blow you away, but you, you take a look at his age. You and I were talking about it before this podcast that he like just turned 19, like a week ago, you look up some of the, the preseason type film on YouTube and you become intrigued watching this guy. And now you see what he's doing two games for Nebraska Two, two games now, two games straight, 20-plus points per game, um, shooting it, converting jump shots from all over the floor. What's more impressive to me, though, 6'7 guard, 179 pounds, as I mentioned, you wouldn't expect somebody like that to be so aggressive attacking downhill, getting to the basket, drawing fouls, getting to the free-throw line, yet he has been aggressive in doing those things, and that, that stands out to me. Um, when we talk about some of these guys who are a little long, a little lanky, lean, 
yeah, if they can hit jump shots like that's great. That should be part of their appeal. But generally, they aren't as aggressive attacking the basket, being physical. That's generally a major, major weakness to their game. And you look at what McGowan's is doing. He has all these nifty, crafty finishes around the basket. He's able to kind of slither through the defense and, and find ways to score, not always drawing contact. But when he does draw contact, he's not just bouncing off of his man. He's finding ways to make sure that he hears that whistle blow and he's going to the free throw line. And he's knocking down those free throws at a, at a very high percentage. I believe he's over 80% on the season. He's already taken 21 free throws in two games. And like he, I know I've said it to you multiple times on this podcast when we've done episodes together, but like when we look at some of these young stars in the NBA who want to increase their scoring average, what are some of the easy ways to bump up those averages? First and foremost, you can say, well, what kind of shot selection does the kid have? What kind of shots is he taking? But the other answer, I think the more important answer is how many times does this guy get in the line? And if you're telling me that Bryce McGowan's is going to get to the line eight to 10 times a game, throughout this whole college season. Like, of course, he's going to average 20-plus points per game if he's converting 80-plus percent of those free throws. And then when you factor in all of the other types of shots he can make, the the pull-up threes, the the transition-type offense that he's bringing, the ability to hit open spot-up shots, pull up from the mid-range, like, you start to look at this kid and you say, yeah, there's obviously some weaknesses to his game, which you and I can get into, but you look at some of the strengths, you look at the age, the size, the length, and you're like, this is where this kid is at now. And he really hasn't been on a ton of first round radars. Like not only just this college season, but once he gets to the NBA, how much better can this kid get? And so that's really what intrigues me. And if we're talking about some of these prospects that I, I told you after our first episode, I'm like, somebody's going to pop up from almost out of nowhere. And they're going to rise not only just in the first round conversation, Put into the lottery conversation. Yep. And I know that a lot of people we were talking about, um, a lot of people were excited last week for Michigan State, the Max Christie debut. This kid has me even more pumped up than Max Christie. I see a lot more to McGowan's game than I do from Christie. I don't know where you're at in terms of a comparison like that, but I know, Tyler, when you read my piece this morning, I know I got you jazzed up about Bryce McGowan. What do you like from his game? What do you see? Yeah, this is why I love the entire No Ceilings crew is because everyone gets excited about a guy and it's almost as if it's like a, it's ringing a dinner bell. And it's like, hey, I, I think I found a guy I love. And, you know, I started reading your piece and just quickly you just kept saying stuff that I was like, I am very intrigued in a hurry, I, you know. When I watch a shooter that knows they're a good shooter, the moment I find out he's a good shooter, I'm like, okay, now show me something else. Like, show me if your shot's not falling, how else are you going to score? And when you watched McGowan, because like I said, right after I saw your piece, I was like, okay, throw the film on. And Which I talked about it in the piece. Like, his exactly. shooting mechanics are clean. His, his mechanics are butter. They're beautiful. Like right when you read that, I was like, okay, let me see. And I turned it on. I was like, okay, Nathan's spot on on that. But there's some wiggle in his game. I'm in love with the fact that he's hungry to get to the free throw line. Because like you said, there's also some guys that when they're good shooters, they want to stay on the perimeter. And they don't understand of like, my shot can now create me getting to the hoop and causing some problems for the defense. And then you just start becoming a nightmare because they don't know if you're going to spread the floor or attack off the bounce. Yeah. 
But I mean, you go over his stats, like his first game, he finished with 25, but he, you know, he didn't shoot the ball great. He's seven for 18, but he still gets to the line 12 times and goes 10 yep. for 12 from the line. Then his next game, he goes nine for 13 from the field, gets to the line nine times, goes seven for nine from the line, finishes with 29. So you're like, whoa, those are big numbers. He's a scorer, not just yes. a shooter. He's a scorer. Yes. He's, he's a bucket getter. And I like, you know, a lot of people would look at those games and say, well, the second game is most impressive because he was efficient. I love looking at that first game and saying, well, clearly he couldn't get a shot to go. So he said, what the heck should I do to make an impact? And he's like, I'm going to get to the free throw line. And he got to the free throw line 12 times, six rebounds. So then you just start, like you said, all of a sudden, this is a guy that's, you know, you start swimming like a shark around the draft buzz. And you're like, okay, Bryce McGowan, freshman, six seven, good size on the wing, can shoot it, um, living at the free throw line. Why couldn't he start climbing and creating some buzz? Maybe this is a guy that, like you said, Nathan, just starts climbing in the draft talks. And that's the beautiful part about college basketball in that first opening month is people start to kind of introduce themselves to the basketball world like no i'm i'm here this is this is my game i'm i belong in that conversation of being a potential first round pick um like you said i don't think we were expecting nebraska to be a team that we had to circle on the list of NBA they, they really are because bryce mcgowan's knows that he's the best player on that team by yes. miles that's why he's taking all these shots that's why the team has let him bring the ball up the floor on some possessions be like listen just just go go do something that's not a complete net negative. Just try your yeah. best and just go try and, and figure it out. And some of the weaknesses to McGowan's game that I didn't I didn't touch on in the column. First of all, I don't need to make like a five mile long column because I don't think everybody's gonna re always read all five miles. That's like a big pet peeve of mine when somebody puts out like the fifty thousand word essay and like people are really only interested in reading the first like fifteen hundred words. But I also wanted to talk about this in the podcast a little bit. So we talked about the aggressiveness and the willing to get to the basket and draw contact. I don't think he has good command over the basketball. I think his dribble is definitely a weak part to his game. And I think that so, so if you get him over dribble in the air out of the basketball, if you bring the double team off of his first step and you get him into a spot where he's around the elbows a little bit in no man's lane, you double team him there. He's definitely coughed up some turnovers. And then on the defensive end of the floor, he's attentive. I think he knows where he needs to be, but he also doesn't give the amount of effort that he mm -hmm. should, which is ironic because he's so aggressive on the offensive end. You'd think that he'd bring a little more of that on the defensive end. He'll kind of let a play just die and he'll let the guy get to the basket or he'll let him score. He's kind of just like, you can tell that he sees it and he's like, all right, well, this guy's about to do whatever. Like, there's no point in me contesting. Like, let's just get out. Let's just move on to the next offensive possession. And like, that's fine. NBA coaches are going to see something like that on the tape, and, and they're going to have questions for him about that. They're, they obviously, an NBA coach is going to want him to give his effort on every single play at the professional level. But if you focus on those two offensive weaknesses, right, that's where, that's more or less where you start to piece together and you say, well, a lot of the dribbling stuff, it's not like he's not willing to handle the ball and 
have a consistent presence within the offense, more of a high volume presence. Like he's willing to do it. So that's probably a big part of his game that he's going to work on, especially in the pre-draft process. And then some of the passing stuff, like, I, I can guarantee you he probably wasn't like a full-time point guard or like somebody who was expected to initiate the offense all the time at the high school level. So I, I would be willing to bet a large sum of money that that's probably new to him too. And a lot of that passing type of stuff, I mean, it's, it's, it's common criticisms we have with so many other guards and wings that are coming into the draft who haven't had all that responsibility put on them and at the high school level. And now all of a sudden they're being asked to do it not only at higher levels, but also against much better competition. And like, I'm sure that will be a big learning curve for McGowan's in the Big Ten, having to maybe have a little more responsibility, handle the basketball, just making plays for others, just being a playmaker, not necessarily just a scorer. But there's nothing egregious, Tyler, within those two weaknesses that I point out that I look at and I say, well, he has no chance of improving this as he gets older. And so that's where you start to talk yourself into like, man, this is a guy we need to be paying attention attention, attention to, excuse me, moving forward. Yeah, and I think you bring up interesting part. I think you hit it on the head. It, those two areas are definitely something he can improve on. Yep. When you have those opening two games and you're the guy that was doing a lot of handling and stuff like that, now you're getting the attention of everyone on the upcoming slate because every team's top defender is going to be saying, I'm going to stop this guy. So it's, I know we always in draft community loves to do this too, but we always say pump the brakes on overreactions early week, but this is also important to watch the upcoming games because he just had over 20 points his first two games. Now he's got the attention of everyone that's going to play Nebraska soon because they're going to say, Hey, this kid's rolling. We got to stop him. And I want to see if he can still produce because he's going to get every team's probably top defender now looking at him for a little bit. Can he continue to bring that production to the table? Can he, if he's getting doubled, can he get out of those passes and not force turnovers? Like stuff like that is now you want to see if that can happen for the next slate of games. Yeah. So I, I'm definitely intrigued. He's on my list. I'm watching him closely now, and it's been a great start to the year. And I'm pumped that you brought his name to the surface because now the basketball world knows who, who he is. Well, I, I might not have brought his name <laughs> to the surface first. That might have been Coach Adam Spinello over the box and one. I know Adam, Coach Adam, is one of my, Coach Adam is one of my favorite follows on social media, so definitely make sure you, you check out some of his work as well. But you hit the nail on the head, Tyler, when you just said about, like, there's no reason to have any overreactions to what we've seen after the first week or the first two weeks. But the whole point of some of these games is to watch the pool of prospects and kind of figure out who are we highlighting in different colors on the spreadsheet? Who are we targeting more as like, okay, this guy's like a first round guy. Maybe this guy's a second round guy. Maybe I'm crossing this guy off the list altogether because I think that he's either not going to be in the draft this year. He's probably going to keep himself in college or maybe we honestly just don't see any pro type qualities out of him at least this early on yet. And that that's really what this slate of games is. And, and, you take somebody like McGowan's, no, you don't, you don't have to overreact to him. But as you said, he's a guy who you now have circled and we're going to be paying attention to him a lot more closely as the year goes on to see not only how he fares in the non-conference schedule, but against much tougher defenses in the Big Ten. So yeah, I'm very curious to watch McGowan's as the year goes on. 
the last guy I wanted to hit on at length, and then we'll kind of do a few quick hits before we close out the podcast. I titled this section in the column, aptly so, Caleb Houston, NBA draft darling. Why do I say NBA yes. draft darling? Because this guy encompasses everything that I feel like draft Twitter just loves in a prospect. 6'8", sweet shooting wing, although he hasn't been quote-unquote sweet shooting from outside just yet. He's hit two of seven jump shots, but we know that the shooting stroke is legit. We've seen it time and time again. You go back and watch some of the U19 film that got everybody excited. Him just nailing jump shot after jump shot. We know he can shoot off the catch, off the move. Some of the stuff that we started to see in the U19s, and now we've even seen it through two games at Michigan, like they're putting him in like pick and roll sets and asking him to create and make decisions, not just for himself on the move, but for other people. And he's making sound decisions. He knows where he has to be on defense. He's, he's missed some rotations here and there, but for the most part, he knows where he needs to be. He provides effort on the defensive end. He rebounds well for his position and you just throw in all the different scoring intangibles that you can. And he's just, He's one of those wings. It's really tough to figure out the major weaknesses in his game as well. And it, it's it's hard to explain at length on a podcast like this. It's He's one of those guys where you kind of just have to flip on the film and see it for yourself. Like if you've been watching the game of basketball for as long as you and I have, you and I can flip on clips of guys and we just kind of can tell like, all right, this guy knows how to play basketball. Player A knows how to play basketball. Player B doesn't know how to play basketball. And, and right now, I'm firmly in the camp that Caleb Houston knows how to play basketball. And that's why, to me, if I was going to make a very early, like, top six, if I was actually, like, ranking players, right, I think that we've talked enough at length about who the top five probably are, like Ben Caro, Chet, Hardy, Patrick Baldwin, Jabari Smith, in some order – and to me, like the next guy up is Caleb Houston, because I think that his game is just going to translate so well on an NBA court. What do you think about Caleb Houston so far? He's he's probably becoming one of my favorite guys because it's just like you said, it's so hard to explain. But his I think his opening game, he had eleven points, I think. Yes. It was it was so much more impressive than his box score, just because of how impactful and smart and just the way he moves on the court and like, he's just a fantastic asset. And I'm not saying he's this type of defender that Michael Bridges is, but both of those guys understand how to play the game. And they just, you just stand out with their awareness and IQ of, they understand how to play within a system, how to play team basketball do the small little things that make your team better, almost like glue guys in a way, but I know that phrase has different meanings, but those type of wings are becoming so important now for NBA teams because they want those guys that they don't have to score 25. They can make an impact in a variety of ways. And when you watch Houston, you reference the U19 film. He just kept making all of these decisions and impacts in so many other ways compared to scoring and he can shoot like you know we you hinted he's off to a little slow start from outside but 
He can shoot it, and it's a beautiful we know, shot. We know that he's going to light up some of the oh, teams this year. Like, he's going to have a game question. where he goes nuclear from outside because right. he just has a beautiful shot. It's, you know, it, and it's like Cam- Cameron Johnson with the Phoenix Suns, too. It's just one of those guys that you can kind of play in a, in a number of different positions, and he can do a lot of really good things on the basketball court. And he might – you know how we were talking earlier about how Javari's made that leap? He might not ever make that leap to get into the top five conversation, but he's going to be a guy that I think he's a top 10 guy and someone's going to be so pumped to get him. Like adding that type of player to your roster, to a yep. young core. I, I'm just a huge fan and he's one of those guys, like I'm saying, I might not ever have him in the top five but I also might be like not sleeping well at night because I'm like, he deserves to be higher. This is everything a, a team would want in a young wing that just knows how to make your team better. So I, I love Caleb Houston. I've been a fan of everything I've seen. I think he's going to be a guy that is going to have a stretch throughout the college basketball season where he's just putting up some big numbers. Like I said, I think, I think right now the consensus top five is probably pretty cemented through like mm-hmm. the first week, two weeks of action. Other names you can throw in with Caleb Houston. It's really interesting. I've had people say Jalen Duran to me, and that's going to be a very interesting case study because a lot of those people who might want to put Jalen Duran and throw his name in the hat, those are also some of the people who are like the big men's dying, the traditional big men's dying, like this more this more post player, this vertical op spacer, what else is he really doing on offense? Like that type of player shouldn't be valued like a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. Um, Kennedy Chandler has been really impressive at, at Tennessee. Really We've definitely yes. talked about him. Some of the other point guards you can throw in there. There, there are definitely some other names from the wing spots, but it's really, you start to look at after that top five, who really comes next. And it's some of those other names are more team specific positional fits. Whereas Houston, as you kind of mentioned, he's this basketball player that can fit anywhere else on the floor. Cam Johnson is a really good name. It's almost like if Cam Johnson could handle a little more playmaking responsibility than he does right now, like that might be the type of player we end up getting. He's not this awesome defensive type of prospect, right? Cam Johnson isn't awesome on defense, but he's solid. He knows how to play within the context of everything else that's going on around him. So does Houston. You know that they're sweet shooters. You know that they can, at the very least, maybe they're not hitting all these one-two dribble pull-ups, but they can at least attack the closeout on the move, right? They can get to the basket. They can finish at the basket when they get there. You start looking at how complete of a wing Houston can be and the fact that he's also young. He can still get plenty better. Like, we're comparing him to Cam Johnson now. Cam Johnson is also was also really old coming into the NBA. Yep. This is where Caleb Houston's at at the age of 19. So it's like where – where, where do we go from here? And that's why, like, yeah, he might not be doing anything at this current moment in time to blow you away and, and leading you to believe that he's, like, a, a third or a second option on, like, a really good NBA team. But why can't he get there? Because he's so young. Right. No, and, and I, I think it was – it's funny you said that. I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, Cam Johnson, I think he went 11th overall. He was, uh, I think, off the top of my head, a junior. So you're talking about 
No, he was like he was like a super senior man. He was like was he a, was he, a, he was like twenty three or twenty four years old when he came in the NBA. I thought he was a senior, and I was gonna be like, okay, am I gonna sound dumb? Because he was he, he he was a pit transfer, and then he got to that's North Carolina, right. Played a season in North right. Carolina, then he played another season because of some of the transfer snap stuff. Look at look at Nathan calling me out. Okay, thank you. No, 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 no. But that was good because even saying junior, I was like, that's not right. And then well, the that's why thing. everyone gave Phoenix so much shit. Yes, because he was so old where they drafted him in the lottery, and that was kind of the first like domino to fall. Like you shouldn't take a player like that in the lottery. And the, oh yeah, well Cam Johnson's helping the Phoenix Suns win playoff games and get to the finals. Now we're looking at a guy like Chris Duarte. Right, yes. Chris Duarte has been tearing it up for the Indiana Pacers. Everyone's like, "Oh, look at what Chris Duarte's done. He's probably like top three on a Rookie of the Year ballot right now." Yeah. It's like, "Oh, well, he was also old as shit coming out of college. He's like twenty four coming out of Oregon. Like, Will Richardson might be the next guy in in, in a line now of, of these like senior type of prospects where you know we might not see them with ultimate upside, but they're coming in and filling important needs and roles in the NBA. And we're we're putting Houston in that same category, but he's He's 19 years old. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always go to battle for those older guys, but that's, that's the respect I already have for a guy like Houston. Like you're saying, we're putting him in that category of an older guy that could come in and help right away. And he's 18, 19 right now. So it's like, that's the type of player and impact I think he could have as a rookie. And that's why I think he's going to be just the top 10 guy. Like, I feel like he's going to have a game against a tough team where he just kind of goes, you know, finishes with 20 and goes four for six from downtown or something like that. And it just seems like the tools are all there. You know what he's going to be. He's going to be this low floor type of prospect potentially that has so much upside still left to his game. And I'm just a big fan. And I think he's going to continue to just get better and better throughout the year. The last point I'll make about Houston, the thing that mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for the most, it, and my audience out there, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I love guys who know how to leak out and fill the lane properly and transition or sprint to the corner when necessary. And that's such a big part of the NBA game nowadays. I know I wrote a big piece for No Ceilings on the Charlotte Hornets, and a big chunk of that piece was about how LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges are fitting in so well because of the pace of play the Hornets are playing at. It's not just up and down basketball after they get a stop on defense. It's that even if the opposing team makes a shot, like somebody's running to inbound that ball as quickly as possible. And like the, the game is consistently moving up and down. And when you have somebody like Houston who understands how to leak out, when to leak out, when he needs to fill the lane in transition versus sprint to the corner, he just understands all of the nuances when it comes to transition basketball not just after a stop but also off out of a made shot his his positional understanding and his positional awareness is elite and that is so so important when you get to the nba the one thing you can do if you aren't a high level shot maker or you're not a high level creator do you at least know where to be on the damn basketball court especially on offense and you can already tell just watching two minutes of Houston film. You, you flip on the Buffalo game for like two minutes and you're seeing this guy just immediately know how and where he needs to be. It's it's impressive stuff to watch. And yeah, that builds out to some of the the high floor that you're talking about, Tyler. But I, I, I can't talk about that type of stuff enough because so many of these players don't know 
how to do stuff like that. They're all the, these high level AEU guys trying to come into a team environment. They've been so used to having the ball in their hands time and time and time again. They aren't comfortable or familiar with how to properly play off the basketball. And when we say off the basketball, it's not just, you know, coming up the court, very lackadaisical, running over to the wing, maybe kind of just being ready to catch and shoot. There's more that goes into it than that. And Caleb Houston is always aware of his surroundings, what's going on. He's always moving when he doesn't have the basketball. Like stuff like that is just so undervalued and not talked about enough when we're evaluating young players. Yeah. And it takes also, you know, I, I'm the same way as you. I think um, playing off the ball is a whole entire new, you know, world. I, I think it takes an understanding, it takes a, desire and just commitment to, and I know this sounds weird, but to give a shit, to understand like, okay, I want to move without the ball and find lapses in the defense and score wherever I can. So yeah, I'm, I'm like you, it's a rare skill that requires attention to detail and awareness, IQ, just the key word you said that me and Tyler Metcalf said about on our last podcast is understanding. Not a lot of guys don't understand so quick, like where they can make an impact without having the ball in their hands. And I think that's with Caleb Houston right now. You're seeing that he understands of the positioning, you know, spacing, maybe it's cuts without the ball. Like there's just a lot of good things he does on the basketball court that not a lot of guys show it right away. And it doesn't mean he's always scoring when he's doing this. He's helping the team out with these movements. So that's why I think I'm just, he's going to be one of these guys I'm going to be in love with all year as a prospect. Last part of the podcast. And then we'll do a little sign off here. I mentioned about four guys in my stock watch session on my column. Yes, Corey, you're not the only person who can do stock watch updates at no ceilings. Damn it. I'm going to do that as well. I mentioned Drew Timmy. He had himself a night against Texas. He went for 37 points, seven rebounds. I'm not going to waste time talking about Drew Timmy. If I didn't say this on this podcast, and I definitely said it somewhere on social media, about how Texas quite literally doesn't have a big man. Like, their front court is depleted. They are a guard-oriented team. Like, Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren or possibly both were going to just dominate them and very handily win that game. It just happened to be Drew Timmy just wanted to take every single shot that night that I believe like 13 to 17 from the field or something stupid like that. Like that nobody was going to stop one or both of the Gonzaga big men. So I'm not, I, I don't have any scouting takes to, to kind of take away from that, but I mentioned Wendell and Justin Moore. And I also mentioned Jaime Jaquez. Uh, Wendell Moore came out. He actually, a, after a, a really encouraging game against Kentucky he came out, he posted a triple double, 19 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists and a win against army. Duke is now three and in the year. Justin Moore came rip-roaring out of the gates, 27.7 assists in their first game against Mount St. Mary's. Had a big game against UCLA, second game. Got in foul trouble, was playing very inconsistently in the first half because of its second half. He picked things up a little bit. Um, And then Jaime Jaquez was wired and engaged the entire game, 21 points, 13 rebounds. Had to put the double exclamation points in my column after the 13 rebounds kind of bringing everything that Corey likes to talk about with Hawkins. Just he's that, he's that awesome. I'm going to just give a shit. I'm going to give my effort the entire length of the game. And then I'm also going to be able to do some things off the bounce. I'm going to be able to hit open shots for you and make the right decisions with the basketball. 
he's just one of those glue guys that you kind of just see. He's an, another experienced player, but he's one of those glue guys you want just going to war with your team night in and night out. So out of those three guys, Tyler, who stood out to you the most out of opening week? Who's the one guy out of those three that you really want to get into yourself a little bit? Uh, you know what? I, it's really interesting because it's like you kind of have been reading my mind because I swear when I read your column and saw those names, I was like, those are literally the three names I've been intrigued by. You know, Wendell Moore's caught my attention a lot because he just had some buzz recently and it just never seemed to click. And now this year, things seem like they're starting to click and he's starting to realize like, okay, I'm becoming the player that I was supposed to be. And he's producing, he's showing some really nice flashes. I mean, that opening game for Duke, I kept, you know, watching kills. I kept watching Bonchero, but, you know, Moore just kept jumping at me. And I was like, man, that's Wendell Moore. Like, he just looks so much better. He looks, like, tougher. He's getting to the basket. He's pulling up for mid-range hit shots. They have him scoring and and playmaking out of pick and roll much more comfortably than he has in years past, which he was kind of billed as this, like, point forward this playmaking type wing and that never really fully materialized for him over these last three years. I think he has like a, like a three to one assist to turnover ratio on the year so far. So that part of his game is, is, is really popping. I agree. Yeah. He, he just looks like a guy that's fine. And that's the thing with some of these guys, it takes time, yep. you know, not everyone clicks right away. Everyone, sometimes we get all hyped up about these, you know, big recruits going to a big time school. And it's like, it takes time to all of a sudden flip the switch. And I think this year you could tell that he was putting some work in because he just looked determined in that first game. Like I'm, this is my time. I'm ready to roll. And like you said, he's just shown fantastic improvement and flashes all over the place. The other two guys on your list, you know, I'm not going to go crazy about them, but um, you know, so Wendell, Wendell Moore though. So yeah, my I'd say Wendell. About, my question to you about Wendell is, again, we have a three-game sample size, but so far, right, right, right. Four, four of 14 from three-point range. The shot has been a struggle for him while he's been in college. If he's making mid-range shots, that's one development, but if he's still not converting from three, that's not encouraging news that you want to hear about Wendell Moore. And right now, we came into this season thinking that he was probably going to be fighting to be a definite second-round selection in 2022 you watch some of the film from these first three games the thought of him breaking into the first round starts entering into your mind like could he be drafted in the back end of the first round as somebody who's finally starting to put multiple things together if the three-point shooting doesn't become more efficient than what it is right now let's say this sample size of like 4 14 maybe we we average that out that ends up being kind of what it is for the season if he doesn't come armed and ready with the three-point shot coming into the NBA. Does that definitely keep him out of the first round in your mind? Does it maybe even knock him out of the second round, despite some of the other flashes you've seen from him? Like, where is his stock for you right now since you've had your eye on him? And where do you think it's probably going to end up over the course of the season? I mean, I definitely think the three-point shot is going to be the swing skill. Um, If that can come around that's probably going to start getting him some late first round buzz. If he gets up that high, we're just looking like we're going to have another really strong class. And I think we were expecting that at the beginning of the year. There's always going to be these names that come into the conversation we weren't expecting. I mean, that's just, it happens every single year. You know, I I would 
think right now, and you, you're calling me out because I hate doing big boards earlier in the year, but I would think right now he's probably a middle second round guy, but you're talking about this production and he's showing these signs of what scouts and evaluators were wanting to see before. Now it looks like it's starting to come to the surface a little bit. Yeah. The outside shot would be great if it's coming around consistently, but that's also something if he keeps playing like this and then has a stretch where you can see the outside shots looks a little bit better then that might entertain that conversation in a hurry. But um, I just... Well, it depends, on it, it depends on his role. It's kind of like yeah, we're talking it, about like my tier system. Like maybe he's not a tier three guy, but when we're talking about what separates like tier four and tier five for me, it's do you envision him being like the fifth guy in a starting lineup? Do you think he's much more suited for like a bench role? Is he definitely like a six man? Do you want him more of like your, your seventh through ninth guy coming off the bench? Like, then maybe think about it that way, not necessarily just from a big board perspective. Where, where would you, where would you envision him finding a home for an NBA team? Like what part of the rotation right now? He seems like he could be a sensational rotation guy that, you know, it's funny him playing with Duke. He's playing on opening night with two guys that were just offensive monsters that whole night. And he was a fantastic piece of knowing like I can make an impact strategically. Like, I don't have to shoot every single time. Like, when it's my time, it's my time. But I can also play within the system, trust these guys to put up the numbers. So maybe you're talking about, you know, a fifth guy that's complementary to a really strong team where he ends with, like, a playoff caliber team. Maybe you're talking about a rotation asset where he's the seventh guy that comes in, plays tough, and can make, you know, an impact in a variety of levels of the game. So I don't know. He just is intriguing me because I'm seeing the improvement come to the surface. Like he's starting to look like a prospect we were getting excited about so long ago. And it's just someone I want to keep watching more of throughout the year. And that's the biggest thing. Like we, we could have looked at Wendell more before the season started and we're thinking he's probably fighting to crack an NBA team's rotation. And now we're, we're starting to see some of the other aspects come together. He's playing much more reliable defense He's rebounding the ball on both ends of the floor for his position. He's at least finding other ways to score outside of three-point range. Now we're kind of putting him in the territory of, okay, maybe this guy deserves a shot at legitimate minutes within an NBA rotation. Not like he's playing 12 minutes one night, he has a DNP the next night, like he plays like – not not like that kind of role. I'm talking about a legitimate night tonight. We're putting him on the court for 15 to 18 minutes a game or possibly more, we would really want to see what this kid can handle at the NBA level. So if, if he's entering into that conversation at the very least, I think that's about as much of a win as you can ask for from him and his stock over the course of the first three games of the season. But yeah, we, we want to see him put up a triple-double against somebody a little better than Army. Yeah. But we, we, we do want to see that. But that being said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me again, as you will be. Every single Monday recording, we'll be putting these episodes up every single Wednesday. You do such a great job of plugging no ceilings, quite literally, everywhere you walk, everywhere you turn. So I'll let you have the no ceilings plugs for, for my audience, Tyler, for, for our audience, I should say. Yeah, we're at No Ceilings NBA on social media. Uh, we got a great Substack. Please go subscribe to it. It's free. It's relentless draft coverage by a fantastic team of up and coming writers. No, I don't have that scripted. It pretty much went off the top of my head. So yeah, you're getting you're just getting a lot of good stuff over there. We're gonna be doing draft coverage all year, podcasts, articles, in depth analysis. 
Nathan's killing it with his segments. And, you know, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. We're going to work together on a little Scotty Barnes piece. So we're also doing some NBA talk. So it's going to be a great time. Yeah, I guess by the time you're here in this podcast, we may or may not have something up about one Scotty Barnes, who I got to see in person last week. Man, not to like completely spoil some of my portions of the piece, but like just to get these words out in the open, like can can you think of a star player in the NBA who just constantly sprints to the bench, like when a team's taking like a timeout or like you know like what. W- youth sports like coaches are always telling their kids like hustle everywhere you go like no matter what if you're coming off the field like hustle 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 i feel like scotty barnes is the only like star caliber player that i'm seeing at least in person who's like consistently doing that and bringing that type of energy and setting that type of example for everybody else around him like you see him in the warm-ups he's like dancing like going crazy like no other like the spirit and the enjoyment that he plays with the fact that he wants to be there he wants to be there working every single day like that's just what you can do. Even even if you're working like a nine to five job, if you're that guy who's setting the tone for everybody else, bringing the energy, it makes so much, so many other people's lives at that job that much more enjoyable when you have that type of leader in your locker room. That's why, that's why we want to write about Scotty Barnes. Man. It's just so, 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 so fun to watch for all of those reasons. Yeah. I, I can't wait for that piece. Um, he's just been a tone setter throughout his whole life. And it's awesome to see what he's doing so far as a rookie. He just plays the game with so much passion and energy. And I think he's just going to set the tone with that organization moving forward. I think they're just going to keep building around that type of person and player he is. And I'm pumped. I'm pumped for a piece. It's going to be, it's going to be really, really special. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like put words into the perfect description about how I feel about Scotty Barnes, but I'm, I'm definitely going to damn try. We get we get so so many so many fun energetic guys in the league nowadays coming in within the last few years. You got Scotty Barnes, Anthony Edwards, Cole Anthony. Like these are all like fantastic people. Great quotes. Like it's it's awesome to see for for the future of the NBA moving forward. Hopefully, we get more guys like that in the 2022 class. But thank you so much for listening to this podcast, supporting Draft Deeper, supporting No Ceilings. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you find this show as well as all of the other shows on the No Ceilings Podcast Network. Really easy. Linktree, L-I-N-K-A-T-R dot E-E slash No Ceilings NBA. You can find all of our shows there. If you want to subscribe to the Substack, we've all been sharing the links to our Substack as well as our pieces nonstop. So definitely check us all out on social media. You can follow Tyler at Backcourt V. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Go check out all the content we're putting out. We are putting up at least one piece, at least one piece a day, Monday through Friday. That That's just written work. That's not counting any of the podcasts that we're doing. That's not counting any future videos that we're doing. That's not counting any of the future streaming that we're probably going to be doing at some point with different projects. We have so much planned for this platform, and we can't thank you enough for the support you've already shown and the willingness to, to join us on this wonderful journey that is the 2022 NBA Draft and beyond with no ceiling. So thank you all again. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.